We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our January breakfast with Pastor Whit George. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. We're ready to hear from our lead pastor. Every January we have Pastor Whit come up and kind of talk to us about uh, where we're headed as a church and kind of state of the church, all that kind of stuff. Today we're doing it a little bit differently and I'm super pumped about that. So he doesn't need a big introduction. He wouldn't like it anyway. Uh, give it up for our lead pastor, Pastor Whit George. Okay. Hi. Hi. Maybe I'll just stand okay. so we can look at each other. I'd eye. Yeah. I could kneel. I'd, yeah, you could kneel. In fact, Witt told this story. I wasn't going to say this. Witt told this story in a sermon recently about how he saw me coming before service down the aisle, and I was hugging everybody in his family, and he, like, he realized I'm going to get hugged. But in the moment, he was like, you know, I think I'm okay with it. And I thought the one thing that you could have done that would have been so funny, you could have said, and I was okay with it. And when I saw Lee coming, I thought, yep, I'm going to get a hug. <laughs> but you did it. You were nice to me in that moment. So thank you. You're hey, very welcome. What most of us around here at Church on the Move get from our lead pastor, we get his leadership, we get his vision, and kind of on a weekly basis, we get his teaching. He, he, I know what Wit does to prepare for messages. He takes it incredibly seriously. He does a lot of research. He makes sure that he is fully ready, and then he delivers. And we get to do that on a, on a weekly basis, really, around here. And we love it. It's, it's what builds our church. But um, we thought, man, this is Friday morning. Uh, you're going to do that here tomorrow night and Sunday. What if we did this a little bit differently? What if we more like had a conversation with our lead pastor just about some stuff that he sees uh, as we go into a new year? What is he thinking about? What are the things that he's doing in his own life? And what does he want for our church? Instead of him having to prepare a three-point message or whatever, let's just have a conversation. We've liked this format as a Brotherhood Breakfast before, and so why not do it with our leader? And so that's kind of the way we're going to do it. And I'm so thrilled that I get to do this. We kind of pivoted to, to do it this way this week. And so uh, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to kind of have a conversation. And uh, what I know about WIT, because we get to hang out quite a bit, is uh, once you get Wit talking about something that he's passionate about, man, you're going to start getting passionate about it because he's a, he's a heck of an evangelist uh, for the things that he really loves, the things that he's passionate about. So I wanted us to have a chance to do that. This, this be, I mean, obviously Wit is our lead pastor here at Church on the Move, but I know Wit has a lot to say that's helpful for all men, wherever church you're in or whatever. And so uh, let's just jump into this. And I think we should start with kind of the, let's go right to the most important things, um, what do you think the keys are? What is it going to take for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl this year? Oh, man, that's a great opening question, Lee. And that may be the only question we get to today. But I, yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think if we could just make sure to play the, the, the Cowboys, we would be certain to get wow. there. I, I feel Chris good tried to stick up for people around here last week and defend the Cowboys fans, but... What do you no, think it is? Yeah, that, is it Purdy yeah. playing well under pressure? Are you wanting to know for real? Yeah. Uh, Are there any 49ers fans in here? Not one. Okay. Um, it's all good. <laughs> we can talk about it another time. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's fine. Well, here's the deal. It's the start of the new year. And for a lot of people, I'm one of those. For a lot of people, it's like, okay, 
it, it's it's another day, but it gives us an opportunity to go, okay, what would I do different this year than what I did last year? It's good to take time to reflect. And I know there are a lot of you in this room that are saying, okay, I want to develop new habits. Maybe I want to implement some things in my life or eliminate some things in my life. But a lot of times we're not very good at that. Whit, I'm, I'm curious, how do you stay hungry? Because I know that's a high value for you and not get complacent. How do you set goals? How do you keep yourself growing in Christ? You know, it, it, it's probably not like you think. I'm not much of a goal setter. Uh, you know, I got guys around me that are. I've never been that kind of person. Um, I, I really am a, a person that lives in the moment. Uh, I, I don't think a ton about the future. I, I don't live with a lot of regret for the past. Right. That's, that's both a gift and a curse. Sure. Um, it makes me a borderline sociopath sometimes. But um, it, what, I, what, I, what I do and I, what I have done, I think, is kind of counterintuitive, at least these days. But I think it's something that I'm, I'm actually really passionate about that I think would make a big, big difference in the, in the lives of a lot of men is to take responsibility even when you don't maybe have to. So what I mean by that, where God has used to grow me in my life more than anywhere else is when I've taken on, on, on spiritual responsibility or it could be familial responsibility with my family. Um, when I've assumed roles that maybe I wasn't exactly ready for when I took them, like pastor would be one of those, God uses that stuff to, to grow you. It doesn't mean kind of getting out ahead of yourself and jumping into things that you're completely unready for, but it does mean, I think, taking on the burden. There, there's nothing like knowing that there's another group of people depending on you to kind of motivate you. I'm, I'm not the kind of person uh, who, who has, may, this might be surprising to, to some of you, that has the, the, the strongest amount of internal drive to go achieve. And some of you are more wired up that way. I work around guys that are more wired up that way. It's great. It's a good quality to have. It's not necessarily how I've been wired up. How God's done it with me is to put me in positions where other people were depending on me and it's forced out of me a certain maturity, leadership, that kind of thing. I've had to learn things because I've had to, because the responsibility was there. And so I, I, I think one of the things that you could do to grow is to put yourself in an uncomfortable position this year that you don't quite feel ready for. That might look like leading a small group. That might look like leading, sitting at, the, you know, at a table in a mid-sized group, taking on some responsibility. It might look like serving. I, I, I think that's just one of the areas. I, I think we've got a lot, of, a lot of very competent men in this church, and, and I know there's a lot of churches represented here. I think one of the best things that you could do as a very competent leader is to serve somewhere. Maybe the best thing for your ego, maybe the best thing that you could do to fight pride is to get in the kind of place where you're, you're just a servant somewhere. Put yourself somewhere uncomfortable where there's some kind of responsibility on you. And this is really probably going to be a theme of much of what we'll talk about today because it's something I think is how God often grows leaders is he puts them in places that are difficult and in the, in the difficulty can either make you or break you. I think about David was under Saul for many years 
before he became king. I think about Joseph going into Potiphar's house and then ultimately prison before he steps into the role as kind of, uh, you know, vice regent of, of Egypt. You see this Moses uh, being thrust out into the desert for 40-something years before he returns back and, and, and you know, does what God, the, the assignment that God has for him. Often, God puts his people in difficult places, kind of this, these formational places that prepare them for what he's going to do in them. And I, I think there's so much I could say here. We could take the rest of our time, and I hope that we'll get some time to talk into this, because I think even the, the and, and, I, and we could talk about this culturally, it's, it's, it's fascinating. We're waiting longer, I think, just as a culture to take responsibility, waiting longer to get married, waiting longer to have children, uh, not committing to, to a single kind of like uh, work responsibility, freelancing, contracting, everything's about your individual freedom. And I, I think it's fascinating. The two first commands that God gives man is, is uh, basically uh, man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Two will become one flesh and be fruitful and multiply. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure there was anything that God used in my life more to mature me than getting married and having children. There's something, there, and for me, it's five kids. Like, like, I needed five kids. People ask me, did you want five children? No, we're just poor planners. That's the truth. But God used, honestly, the responsibility of nothing, to, nothing will decenter you, nothing will remind you that you're, like, you're not the king of everything, like just having to take care of five kids at once. And, and it, it did something to me that I desperately needed, and I, I'm, I'm seeing this more and more. We're deferring those kinds of responsibilities and looking to try to maximize our own individuality. I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to have this much. And we, and we think that somehow, I, I think it's interesting. You, you start tinkering with the way that God set life up, and I just think we're fools if we think there's no consequence to that. I'm not saying everybody ought to, you know, graduate high school, go get married, whatever, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think when you take responsibility, and I mean assume responsibility in some way for other people, lead something, uh, uh, um, serve somewhere, whatever that looks like, I, I think that's how, at least in my life, that's where I've seen the greatest growth. So I'm all for writing down goals in a journal and all that. If that's what you do, great. But for me, how God's done it is put me in positions that I didn't quite feel ready for, and then that responsibility thrust upon me, and I, I had to respond. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm, we've talked about before is the reality is I would say every man in this room, or at least almost every man in this room, wants to be respected. Like That's a kind of core value of masculinity is I want to be respected by, by my wife, by other men that I, that I respect. Uh, it's, it's a value that all of us want, but... Uh, what you said, I think, the other day was the path to respect is responsibility, which is yes. kind of what you're laying out. Like, if yes. you want that, yes. you can't just get the more comfortable car, the more the bigger house. The, I mean, we think that then people respect me if I have more ease, right. if I'm more comfortable, and it's like, it's actually counterintuitive. It doesn't really work. Well, that I, way. I mean, I think you're speaking to young men, particularly in this room. Keeping your options open, traveling the world, living in a tiny home isn't. Gonna, it might get you a lot of freedom. It's not going to earn you a lot of respect. Right. Yeah. And 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 that's the thing is we live in a world that prizes liberty and freedom above all. There's there's a value in those things, but I'm I'm telling you, 
scripturally, you just don't see the same emphasis that we put on it culturally. And I think, I think what we're seeing is that, that prizing of individuality and freedom. And here, here's the interesting thing is the same root is what's driving men to say, I'm now a woman and, and women to say, I'm now a man is the, is the, the hyper individuality that says, I'm not, I'm committed to nothing. No one, I, I, no one can tell me who I am or what I should do. I get to do what I want for myself. And, and we do that. And like, it's easy to kind of look out and go, you know, those people are doing that in a really awful way, but it, it's happening like within the church all the time, not transgenderism, but the same root that causes it, which is a hyper individualism that says, I can do what I want when I want. We were just pastoring and I, I, I get to hear some of the stories of guys that we talk to in counseling. He was a guy who was wanting to divorce his wife for unbiblical reasons here not that long ago. We were sitting down with a pastor and, uh, you know, sitting there laying out the situation. I think we need to get a divorce. Pastor looks at him and says, brother, you don't have biblical basis for divorce. He looks back at the pastor and says, that's between me and God. What's the difference between that and saying, I feel like I'm a woman and I'm going to transition? And the pastor says, well, biblically, let me show you why you shouldn't. Well, pastor, that's between me and God. It's the same hyper-individualism that drives both. It shows up differently, and we want to judge one group because we don't wrestle with that problem, but it's the same thing. And so I think if you want to be respected, here's the thing, all the, all the people that you've respected, they remind me of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he will be like a tree. There's a certain stability when you're moving from here to here, bouncing from this to that, moving from this relationship to that, never really stable, never really settled. I, I just, I don't, I think, I think respect comes from being the kind of person with deep roots who invests in a, a community and plants themselves. I'm not saying you can never move. I'm just saying that this kind of hyper-individualism, freedom, let me go do what I want to do, get out of my way, and we kind of spiritualize it, put some, some God dust on it and say God told me is, is I, I think, not the way of Jesus. And I think it's a way, if you want to be respected, I don't, I don't think that's the path to get there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So for some of you, what you're hearing your pastor say is your New Year's resolution is get married for heaven's sake. No, and if you are married, yeah. get after it. No, really, some of you are like, hey, the pastor said that, honey. Um, but, but honestly, I think this year, as we begin the new year, some of you are, you're thinking about, okay, like, what do I want to do differently? What do I need to eliminate? What do I, what do I want to adopt? Um, make sure a part of that conversation is where can I take on more responsibility? Where can I lift something heavy? Where can I take a step in a direction that looks hard, but I know it's good? Um, make sure that's a part of your mental map going into the new year. And if you don't have anything like that, if it's just the next adventure, this vacation, I want to make this much money in my business, that's great. There's nothing t- you know, inherently wrong with those things. There might be. There could be. That's right. Um, but make sure part of that is um, where am I going to give myself away? Well, I think the question, Lee, is to say, Lord, where are you sending me? That's good. 
See, yeah. I, I, I've not lived my life trying to realize my dreams. Yeah, that's good. I, I think we live in a world that goes, all right, here, you want to know how to have a successful life? Look inside yourself. Who are you? How are you wired? Mm-hmm. Let's examine your internal wiring and figure out your internal makeup, and then you go live all of that out. Live out your passions. We like to ask questions like, if you could do anything for the rest of your life, what would you do? You won't find those questions in the Bible. Yeah. What you will find is people, God saying, go here. And then they do. And what's amazing to me is that in my life, I've spent very little time saying, what do I want to do? And I've spent more time going, God, where are you sending me? Where have you planted me now? And what's great about that is when you live your life like you're on assignment, you have a you have a lot less time to sort of look inward and navel gaze and wonder about whether or not you're happy. And you're really just thinking about, am I pleasing you right now? Is this what you wanted me to do? Yeah. And I, I do. I run into a lot of young guys. I find they're, they're, there's a lot of introspection. There's a lot of, a lot of angst around, am I, am, I, am I doing the right thing? How should I, you know, uh, I, I want to be happy. And, and what, it's, they're bouncing from this to that, and they're, 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 they're kind of here and there. And what I often think is just like, where has God sent you? Plug in, plant roots, and stick around until he sends you somewhere else. Yeah. And like, let the, like, why should I worry about the rest? Right. Why should I think about the rest of that stuff? I'm doing what God's asked yeah. me to do. And so, to me, a great approach to this year would be, Lord, where have you sent me? Where have you yeah. called me? Is there somewhere I can invest more deeply into the place that you've put me? And when he releases you, don't think that I didn't many times consider leaving working with my dad. It's not easy to personalities like us working together. And we didn't have knockdown, drag out fights, but we had plenty of times where we disagreed. And what was amazing to me when we'd had those, what I, what I always went back to is, Lord, where have you called me? And if, it was, if I did not have any, and I never did, have a release to leave, then I stayed. And I sublimated my ego, my desires, to serving the place that he'd planted me. And that was the best thing for me. I became the kind of person that I never would have otherwise become because I continually kept submitting my will to the Father's will. And that's that, that... like, that's what Jesus did. Yeah, he did. So if you want to look like Jesus, yeah. that's how you do it. Wow. That could be all you came here for right there. <laughs> like reframing, looking at a new year instead of going, what should I do? What could I do? It's like, God, what have you called me to do? Where, where yeah. are you sending me? It's instead of looking at your year through maximization, which is, listen, there's nothing wrong with goals necessarily. But it's real easy to kind of turn that where you're, we're setting goals to our vision for the future, yeah. our will, our purpose, rather than a more humble yeah. pursuit, which is to say, Lord, wh- what do you have for me? Yeah. What do I need to do? Yeah. Where are you leading me this year? And then, and then going where he sends you. Yeah, man, it's really good. And some of you in this room, you know you need to heed that advice. You know, like, okay, I do need to reframe that. I do want to ask of the Lord rather than making my own plans. But I know there might be some of you in the room, you're like, I I don't really even know what that's talking about. I would just encourage you, investigate it this year. Look into what life might be, might look like beyond just what you do, what your plans are, and that there might be a God who loves you and has designed you for specific purpose. Some of you haven't kind of explored that yet with God. And I would just encourage you, maybe this year you explore it a little bit. Ask the question. Come to a mid-sized group. Find out more about that. Could I offer just a couple of thoughts on that, yes, Lee? How, how would I approach that? Yeah. Psalm 1 makes it really clear. Mm-hmm. 
Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of the scoffer. The first thing you need to do is if there's obvious sin in your life, work like hell to eliminate it. Get rid of it. So if you've got, if you've got a secret porn addiction, get in the Katheros group. Yes. If you've got an anger problem, get, yeah. get in, a, in, some kind of, in some kind of small group, yeah. mid-sized group. You need, to, you need to eliminate the obvious places in your life where there's sin. Yeah. And, if, and you know what those are. I think we all know what those are. But that's the very beginning. The first thing that he tells you to do is what you don't do. Right. It's a, the first thing that a child has to learn how to do is, what, what's one of the first words you teach your kids? No, no, don't touch that. That's just the beginning of maturity. Don't touch that stove. Don't put that fork in that sock outlet, wall outlet, right? There's a, there's a basics to maturity, which is can you, can you not do what mom and dad have told you not to do? Well, there's some obvious things. And some of us, like it's not, like it's not uh, we're, we're, we're not struggling to understand what it is. You already know what it is right now in your heart. You know what it is. There's some things you need to eliminate. Maybe it's you're drinking too much, whatever it is. There's some things you need to eliminate in your life. Start there. And that probably looks like talking to someone and getting around some people that you can help, that can help you do that. And then the second part of that is, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. But that law of the Lord is a way of life. Now, that's what we're going to be talking about in this next series. And this is not a series promotion so much as it is, I think, an opportunity for you to really have a different kind of 2024, which is if you want the life of God, you're going to have to live like he says live. And that's what Torah is, or that's what instruction is. It's wise living. And some of us, we're, we don't realize that we're living in ways that go cross-grain to our design and the way that God set the world up. And when you start living like Jesus did and like Jesus says live, you can experience the life of God in your relationships, in your inner health, in, your, uh, in, in, in the way that you experience provision, the way you relate to God, all manner of things, but it's going to happen in the way that you, so there's a positive side to it. In other words, there's some elimination of things, and then there's some things I need to embrace, a kind of new way of living like Jesus lived. And, and, and so it's going to be more, it, there's an active part to it, right? Like it's living, like it's, it's making choices to live. It might be the elimination of some relationships or taking at least a step back from some relationships that are unhealthy for you. Um, but it, but it's, going to be, it's going to be looking like getting rid of some things and then embracing some new patterns. And I, I think you do that, and you will start to see real change. And spe- this is not on our notes, but speaking of patterns and almost formula that you see in Scripture, because some of us like a formula, okay? If I put these pieces in place, then these will be the results. Even in Joshua 1 and in what you just described from Psalm 1, um, there is this idea that when we do the things you just said, eliminate sin and pursue the way of God. In, in Joshua, he says, meditate on the law. Do not turn to the, from the right or to the left from it. The, the result... Speaking of the tree in Psalm 1, and then the result that you see in Joshua is you will be prosperous, you will be successful. If you put these things into place, there is, there's a sowing and reaping in this stuff. And so nobody in here doesn't want 2024 to be prosperous and successful in, in a way that's beyond just business, but like in my life, in my relationships. And so this is practical for us as men, and we need it to be practical, right? That like we do these things, and it will lead to these results. And it's not a vending machine type of a deal, but it's a sowing and reaping. And type. it's also not a focus on success. Mm-hmm. So the goal isn't success. The goal is being faithful to what the Lord's asked mm-hmm. you to do. 
then success the is a byproduct. Yeah. Then you will have. Then you will be prosperous. Right. Then you will have good success. That's yeah. a byproduct of faithful so obedience. Good. It doesn't work the other way around. I, I, yeah. I don't pursue success and wind up at faithful obedience. Right. I pursue faithful obedience and wind up at success yeah. as defined by God. But this is the problem with mankind. It goes all the way back to the beginning. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We want to be the ones to determine what's good for us and yeah. what's not good for us. Right. But to be, a, to be a follower of Christ is to say, I, I, I give that right up. Yeah. You know what's best for me. Even yeah. though it may feel counterintuitive to me, I trust you. Yeah. And there's a lot of us in this room that would say, yeah, that's... That's what I believe about God. But I would just ask you, practically, is that how you're living? Practically, are you making your decisions believing that God's way for you is better than your way for you? Just not, not to step on anybody's toes here. I'm just like, I have to ask myself that question. Okay, we got to keep rolling because we got a couple of things, other things that we want to talk about. Uh, you're in a season of life. A lot of guys in this room are. Your son, your oldest, just got married. It was really, really cool. You've got another one in college. You've got another one that's about to finish high school, and you got a couple of younger girls. Your children are quickly becoming adults. As you reflect on that, because Brian and I have been talking a lot about the value of brotherhood, so important, but not more important than the value of fatherhood. Fatherhood is huge in kind of who we become the way we see God, the way we view the world. And you've been a dad to five and they're moving on. Uh, there's three of them at least are about to be fully into adulthood. What, what are your hopes that they've learned from you? What, what do you wish most of all that you've been able to impart on them as a father? Well, I think the same thing that my dad was able to give to me, my mom and dad. Um, it may surprise many of you to, to learn that we never did family devotions in the George house when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. My dad didn't sit down and practice his sermons on us, uh, thank God. Um, he didn't say, come on in the living room, kids, it's time for Friday you know, evening you know, Bible study. We didn't do any of that. Um, I'm not saying that those those practices would be bad. I think there's some value in some of that stuff if done the right way. Um, what made a, the biggest difference to me, and I know from my siblings too, because we've talked about it, is that we all knew deep down that my parents were for real. Like for real about their relationship with God and their, they were committed to Christ truly. It didn't mean they were perfect, but it just meant that there was no hypocrisy in their pursuit of Jesus. And my hope is, the comfort that I take is this, like I know I've not done a perfect job raising my kids. My kids are flawed just like yours are. Human beings are flawed. And we've been through, Heather and I've been through our ups and our downs with our kids, and it's been tough. There's been some of the toughest challenges and, and, and situations of my life have been trying to navigate, particularly, by the way, just good news for those of you who have young kids, it doesn't get easier. It only gets tougher. Um, and you think, well, well, but, you know, they're, they're about, they're, when they're 20, no. I mean, you're just getting started, really. So it doesn't change. I, I hate to tell you that. But, but um, you know, the thing that, that I, that I take, took comfort in and take comfort in is though I'm not perfect, my hope is that Heather and I have been, been able to model a real, authentic, faithful pursuit of Jesus, not a perfect pursuit of Jesus, 
but an authentic pursuit of Jesus um, that will stick with them. I knew this, that no matter where I went, uh, what I chose to do, I knew that my parents really did believe what they were, what they were saying to us. And I, I knew it wasn't a game. I knew it wasn't manipulative. I knew that, and what you saw on stage was who I lived with at home. And so to me, that, 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 that transparency, that, that reality, I guess, from them, and that's what I hope that my kids ha- have seen in, in Heather and I, is that we've just been real people flawed. I, I think, so, how, do, how do you do that? You apologize to your kids. One of the main things I think is a big deal is like when you've screwed up, apologize to them. Nothing says I'm putting on a, a facade of per- perfection than your inability to say I was wrong. I need to ask you, my 13-year-old daughter, to forgive me. I lost my cool right there. Will you forgive me? You're willing to do that. Your kids start to see you as a real person who they themselves is, are, are working toward uh, you know, pursuing Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? It's like when they see you struggling, fumbling forward to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that your kids need to be your accountability partners. Please know. And there's some things you don't need to talk to them about. There's some failures p- potentially behind the scenes that you, don't need to, that you don't need to go to your kids about. But when, like, when appropriate, apologizing to your kids, letting them see you grow, letting them see you learn, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I think putting that on display for your kids and letting them see it and being authentic before them is, is, a, is a great move. I think that's so helpful. And I feel two emotions when I hear Witt say that, and I'm, I'm guessing some of you do too. On the one hand, here's the good news. Um, okay. Be real. Like, I'm going to make mistakes as a dad. (laughs) I'm going to make mistakes as a husband. I don't have to get it right every time. I'm not going to be perfect every time. And so, okay, good news. Like, just, I can do this. Hard thing is, I got to show them that I'm growing closer to Jesus. They're watching me. That's a, that should be sobering to us. As much as we go, okay, I, I, I don't have to be perfect being a pursuer of Jesus and, and letting them see you do that and fail forward at times, that's intimidating. And that might be, to what we talked about earlier, maybe that's the area of responsibility that you need to pick up. Like this year, I'm going to let what, I, what we do on Sunday and how we act when we're at church be the same as the way we live on Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday, um, that we're going to live out the commitment that we have to Jesus. Uh, we've got just a couple more minutes. And with what I love about you is you're a student of history, you're a student of culture, you are a reader, you know kind of what's going on in the world. And so as we move into uh, a new year, as you look ahead into 2024, do you have hopes both for our church this year and maybe the church uh, in America, in the world? Like, here we are, we're the church right now in this cultural and historical moment uh, technology, politics, here we find ourselves and we're navigating it as, as leaders, as husbands and fathers. Um, do you have hopes for our church and for the church moving into 2024? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, like, you know, as the world gets, here's my hope. My hope is that as we go further and further down the kind of Alice in Wonderland, topsy-turvy, upside-down, yeah, rabbit hole, crazy world that, that we're, we seem to be moving toward. My hope is that like the, like the prodigal son in Luke 15, we would come to the end of ourselves culturally, you know, where we find ourselves 
having lost a lot in a, in a trough with some pigs, and we remember that our father is still alive, that his house is still there, and that we can return to him. And culturally, that's what I'm hoping is that we come to the end of this kind of wacky journey that we're on and our, our, we, we start to realize that it's not working. I, I, I don't believe that, like by any stretch, that that's going to happen for everyone. But, I, but we are seeing, and in fact, it's interesting, I, I think we're, churches are growing, um, not not overall, like you couldn't say all churches are growing, but there's a pocket of churches that are really growing. Church on the Move is one of those. I think when we see communities that are faithfully, I, I think people are hungry to know what real life looks like. I think that's why we're flocking to people like Jordan Peterson or others like him who have written a book like 12 Rules for Life, which is amazing when you think about like the title of that book and that people would buy it. It sounds like the most boring book ever. And yet people want to know, how should I live? And what's amazing is that we serve a God who, who, who knows better than Jordan. We, we serve a creator who, who's got a better insight into human nature than whoever it is that you might follow. And so, so to me, I think when we have, the, but the church is going to have to become more than just a kind of sort of Christian reflection on the hyper-individualized world that we're living in. I think we're going to have to become communities of, of men and women who are deeply devoted to Jesus. And I think when that happens, you create a counterculture. And, and honestly, I think that's kind of what's happening in this room is people show up and they go, there's something different about this place. I was just with, uh, at, at the dentist yesterday and the, the, there's a lady who works in the, the reception area there or whatever, they, and, 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 and has recently come to COTM and she just said, in all my years of, of church, this and that, I, I, I don't know that I've found a place where it feels quite like it does at COTM. And that's a whole lot more than just like, oh, music is great or whatever, or even preaching. It's not to do with those things. It's the spirit of the place. There's something, and I, and I think that is, that is the community of, of believers. That's what it's meant to be. That when we're authentically living this out, not perfectly, but authentically and honestly, it creates a kind of place that I think humanity is what we, what we were made for and what people are looking for. And so, yeah. My hope is that as our world gets more and more stupid and insane, that people would come to the end of that and say, it's not working. I tried it. I went down that road. I looked inside myself. I'm just as anxious as I've ever been. I don't have whatever, more peace, more joy. I'm frustrated. And they would somehow, by the grace of God, we would turn back to the Father. And the good news is that the image of the Father in Luke 15 is not of one standing there, arms crossed, saying, well, it's about time. But he goes running after the Son who's coming home. And that's my hope for man for our culture. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Um, what, I, what I also hear in that wit is we may be coming up on some of our greatest times of opportunity as a church. It feels the opposite. It feels like the world is against us. The America's never been less Christian than it is now. You know, it will only be opposition. The enemy's winning, you know, against the church. And it's just like, man, just the opposite, because if, if more and more people are pursuing roads that end in bankruptcy, and I'm not talking about just financial, I'm talking about like human bankruptcy. That's what happened with the prodigal son. He found himself at the end of that road, 
this is not what I thought it was going to be. And so many people are, are chasing this individualistic freedom. And well, how, it's how many, not how what many I of you, just by show of hands, you found the Lord at the highest, best, most wonderful and fulfilled season of your life? That's when you came to faith in Christ. Would you raise your hand? How many of you were at a really dark place? You didn't know, you, you, you came to the end of yourself. Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. It, so, so culturally, do we think it's going to be any different? Yeah, Do we so think good. that somehow by times of prosperity and winning that somehow that's going to be what turns everybody? But like right. somehow that like, isn't that human nature, by the way, that's when so you read crazy. the Old Testament, whenever they're really blessed, that's when they say, God, God, God. Or, yeah. or is it just the opposite? Yeah, just yeah. The opposite. it's just the opposite. Whenever yeah. they're blessed, they forget all about God. And whenever life is miserable, they turn yeah. back to the Lord. Yeah. And so for us, this is why, by the way, James says in James 1, I think, too, count it all joy, my brothers, when you enter into trials of various kinds. The idea is that when you enter into difficulty, it's an opportunity for God to work. And though we may, here's the cool thing, is like, though we may not like what we're seeing culturally around us, who better prepared to look at a crazy, chaotic world and say, oh, but God, look what God could do in this time. We ought to be the people most hope-filled, most faith-filled, most most, I don't want to say positive because I don't like that word so much, but I would say the people most confident yes. that God can, would, and uh, would move in times like this. That, that, that's, that's, that's the God we serve. Man, that's encouraging going into this new year. Whit, before you step off, would you just pray over our brotherhood just as our pastor? I'd you love bet. for you to do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the miracle of this group of men. This is done by your hand. Like this, I look around, this is a full room of guys. Uh, this, isn't, um, this isn't something that we could just put together. It's really, it's really something that you've done. By your spirit, you're drawing men together on us. Friday morning this early, amazing. Lord, what you've started here, I ask that you complete. M- meaning that this is, I know that this is only the beginning. There's so much more to be done in us. And so Lord, collectively as a group of people, as a group of men, we just say today, have your way in us this year. Wherever you lead, we want to follow, both corporately and individually. We want to be sensitive to your spirit. We want to respond to what you ask. So whatever you put before us, and some of us, we already know exactly what it is we need to do. We purpose in our hearts right now, yes, we'll do it. We'll do it. Father, I pray that this year for this group of men would be a year we take new ground, that we stare into the face of whatever is coming and we determine to move forward with courage like you encouraged Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Not muster up a strength within yourself, but in a deep and humble reliance on you. To know, Lord, that if we're following you, that you're only taking us to the best of places. So we choose to go where you follow. Lead us this year. We want to become more like Jesus. If we do, we know we will thrive. So we want to be those, that kind of men, that kind of group. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 